today's sermon text is from Mark. Mark chapter 8, verses Mark chapter 8, verses 30. Thirty-one through thirty-three. Yep. I'm just uh, splitting my sermon into two parts. <laughs> yeah. I plan to to preach through thirty-one all the way uh, from thirty-one through chapter nine, one. But then I realized, yeah, it's already very rich, so I just split it. Okay. This is God's holy word. Let's pay attention to it. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's pray. Lord, we have just read your word. It's a precious word from you. Father, please bless your word and help us understand that. And let us see the glory that you have revealed in this word. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So when Peter confessed Jesus as the Christ and the son of living God. The messianic identity of Jesus was then made clear to all the disciples. And this revealed knowledge of Jesus just changes everything the disciples see Jesus. At that very moment, the disciples finally knew that Jesus is the good news that they, as well as the whole house of Israel, have been hoping for. This means a lot to all the Jews as they have been waiting for the day of the restoration of the kingdom of David, which can only happen when the Messiah, who is also known the son of David, comes. So, for, for, the, for, the, for the apostles, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah is exciting news. But Jesus here pressed a pause button right after Peter's recognition of him as a Christ. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why? Did not Jesus come to bring the good news to the world? Did not Jesus want people to know him as the Messiah so that people would know him, know Jesus himself is the very good news? Of course, it is a big yes. Then, why he pressed the pause button here? It sounds paradoxical. Yes, it does sound paradoxical, but it is only paradoxical in the eyes of man. But it is a glorious paradox of God's plan. So starting from our passage, Jesus is going to show us the glorious mission of the Messiah in a paradoxical way. The glory of God comes in the manner of humiliation. 
and the wisdom of God displays in the form of foolishness. And the defeat of Satan will be revealed in the death of the Son of the living God. So you can imagine how confused and frustrated the disciples are when they only see the humiliation of Jesus instead of his exhortation, rejection of Jesus instead of his reception, and the mockery of Jesus instead of his reverence, and the weakness of Jesus on the cross instead of his, of his power. Although the disciples knew that Jesus is the Christ, their understanding of Christ's work is no different from the rest of the Jews, thinking that Jesus would establish the kingdom of God on this earth and bring Israel back to her golden time. To their surprise, and Jesus told them something that they would never relate to Jesus. Verse 31 which is the beginning of our verse, says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. So Jesus literally foretold them what must happen to him in the future. Jesus here identifies himself to the Son of Man, which alludes to Daniel's vision in the book of Daniel 7.14. The Son of Man was described as one who was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages shall serve the Son of Man. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. So, what a glorious, majestic the Son of Man is. But the glory comes in a paradoxical way. He must suffer, be rejected, and even be killed, and after three days, rise again. So do you notice the word must? Why must Jesus go through all of this? Jesus, as the son of living God, is as sovereign as a father. There is nothing that Jesus must do outside himself. In other words, there is no passiveness in Jesus Christ. He is always acting. So the word must can only be understood as the divine will of God. The reason Jesus must suffer, be rejected, and killed is because God willed it. This will of God for Jesus has already been foretold in Isaiah 53.10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grave. But does it mean that this divine will was, was forced upon Jesus by the Father as if Jesus had no choice but had to take it? There are several places in the gospel narrative showing that Jesus had complete liberty to make his own choice. And whatever Jesus asks, the Father will immediately give him. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 26, 53, 54, he said, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? 
So Jesus' word here corrected Peter's misunderstanding and told him that he has full authority as the son of living God. And his arrest is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of willfulness. So that he could fulfill what God has promised. What we see is that the human will of Jesus is perfectly in line with the will of the Father. We see that in the prayer of Jesus. We see that in the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nor as I will, but as you will. This prayer tells us that Jesus as truly God and truly man, he has an independent human will that allows Jesus to make decisions according to his human free will. But Jesus always has his Father's will as his own. That is a true voluntary obedience of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 says, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Jesus says, Father, the hour has, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. John 17, 1. Jesus here is talking about the hour of his suffering, arrest, and the crucifixion. And the glory of Jesus and the glory of the Father will be revealed in these things. So as Jesus was teaching these things to his disciples, as we have seen in the, in the beginning verse, it sounds crazy to the ears of the disciples because it is paradoxical to the image of the Messiah who would defeat his enemies and deliver Israel from Roman Empire. How could it be that their Messiah should be killed? Peter here was doing something very interesting. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. There is no doubt about Peter's heart for Jesus. He did it out of his love and concern for the good of Jesus. Peter did not want those horrible things to happen to his Lord. We all understand that. But what Peter did was out of a pure, sinful human emotion. The man of Peter was improper. Peter looks like a teacher here and took Jesus, and Jesus is like a student in this, in, in this passage. And Peter is literally rejecting Jesus' teaching on his necessity of suffering as God's divine will. But Jesus already made it plain to made, made it plain to all the disciples about that. He must suffer. And he even used the word must to emphasize that it is the divine will of God. And it has been written in the Old Testament. It must go through. Therefore, Peter's act here is a deliberate disobedience to God's will. Jesus says, it must happen as it is my Father's will. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
It is ironic that Peter still called Jesus Lord while rebuking him. And it is even more ironic that Peter is literally telling Jesus, his Lord, to deny that as a will of God. And this, and you can see in Matthew chapter 16, the same story recorded in Matthew. And he, he recorded Peter's word here, the rebuke of Peter's word. So does this word sound familiar? Back in the Garden of Eden, God says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But the serpent says, You will not surely die. Peter here was used by Satan without being aware of that. Satan used the same old trick to tempt Jesus, the second Adam, to fall just as the first Adam Eve. The temptation of Jesus here is greater than that of Eve's. Back in Eden, Satan was neither harsh nor pushing, but was only suggesting and reasoning with Eve. But here, Peter was pressing upon Jesus with words and deeds. And above all, he did all of it in the name of love for the good of Jesus. He wanted to stop Jesus from being killed. In other words, Peter was playing savior here. He was trying to save Jesus from death. Peter's love for Jesus is sincere and genuine. But it is purely man-centered, selfish, and blind love. This love is corrupt and sinful because it reverses the order of the true love revealed in God's law, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Peter's love says, loving man, especially a loved one, must come first. Even that is against the will of God. This corruption love is in every human being. It is rooted in our sinful nature after the fall. I think the most common expression of this love is selfishness. The person we love most is ourself. We love ourselves more than obeying the will of God. We put our own interest above all. And this kind of love can also be displayed in a brazen way. There is even a celebration of this human-centered, twisted, and sinful love in the month of June, right? It's called the Pride Month. And Jesus exposed the spirit that is behind this man-centered love. And Jesus made the heaviest reply to Jesus uh, to Peter here. Jesus, Jesus, and he rebuked Peter in front of all the disciples and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Do you think that Jesus' word is too harsh? How could Jesus even call Peter Satan? Peter is loving him. Of course, Jesus is not saying that Peter is Satan, but was pointing out that Peter was 
was like was acting like the serpent in the Garden of Eden, tempting the second Adam, Jesus, to disobey the will of God by escaping the cross. Jesus rebuked Peter for making the things of man as a center, placing it above the things of God. And this is known as the autonomy of man. That's the satanic, that's the satanic spirit, uh, satanic spirit, which worked in the serpent is now at work in Peter. So Jesus was warning Peter as well as the other disciples that everything that is against the will of God no matter how noble the reasons are, is from Satan. So dear brothers and sisters, are we all like Peter? Are we all affected by this spirit, being deceived by Satan and go against the will of God all the time? Are you setting your mind on the things of God or on the things of man? Are you putting your own will above God's will or under God's will? Is God and His glory your chief end, or you and your own glory in this life the chief end? We know what we should do, right? But when temptations come, we easily go after our own way, like Peter. What we deserve is not only the rebuke of Jesus, but also the condemnation of God to death. Yet, God being rich in mercy promised life to us sinners through his son Jesus Christ for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life therefore according to the will of God Jesus came to the world being born in a low condition made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God and the cursed death of the cross, and was buried and continued under the power of death for three days. Why it is necessary for God to ordain such a humiliated life for his son? Because it is necessary, it is a necessary punishment that all sinners deserve from God. Everything that Jesus did is a necessary punishment for every single one of us. Jesus, being the perfect man and the son of living God, took all necessary punishment that belongs to us so that we can be spared from all the necessary punishment we deserve. The death of the son is also needed because the wage of our sin is death, and without the shedding blood, there will be no forgiveness of sin. Theologians call this the great exchange. That is, Jesus gives his righteousness to his people, and he took his people's sin and made satisfaction for them by bearing the wrath of God against his people on the cross. That's why it is necessary. Jesus must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. But death is not the end of the story, right? Jesus specifically points out 
what comes after his death. That is, after three days, rise again. Resurrection of Jesus is the reason why Jesus' suffering and death are so glorious. Because sin and death are devoured by Christ at his resurrection. In other words, Christ died to sin so that he could defeat sin and death by his resurrection. The curse of sin and death from Adam has now been undone by the death and resurrection of Christ. If we are trusting Christ, we have assurance that we are no longer under the power of sin and death. And we can confidently say, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sin? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ in his suffering and resurrection. So this is the true gospel of God. It is fully to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is a glorious paradox of grace. Let's give thanks for God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that through your word you you teach us, you teach us that you must suffer, you must go through all this humiliation because it's a necessary punishment for us. And we thank you that you did that. And and out of that humiliation, Lord, you made a glorious thing. That is salvation. You accomplished that through your death. And now, to us, the cross is our glory. And we thank you and give give you praise. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's now respond to God.